You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. In T-minus three, two, one, we begin the fun. Touring our way through the NBA from that big, big apple to the place by the bay. Is your mind buckled in? Cause it's time to begin. Seiko and his friends are doing it again. The Hang Time Podcast is the spot, so sit back, relax, because the show's about to drop. Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. I'm your host, Seiko Smith, here in Atlanta, sheltering in place during the global pandemic. Uh, that is the coronavirus. And uh, our guest is a guy who's a Hall of Famer, a living legend, uh, you know, one of the greatest players that basketball has ever seen and all of a sudden one of the most talked about names uh in the game with with the last dance out and all of the headlines that come along with that um isaiah thomas joined us here on the hang time podcast isaiah uh good morning uh and and how are you how's the fam how's everybody dealing through this global pandemic in terms of just adjusting to this new normal Everybody's doing well. As, as you know, my daughter tested positive uh, a while back. Uh, however, she's on the other side of it now, uh, exercising, uh, doing well, and uh, back to work uh, selling Sherline Champagne. So uh, I'm, I'm happy that that we're, we're all happy and, and, and safe, and I hope everybody else is uh, happy and safe also. No doubt, no doubt. Um, you... I mean, I, I don't, I don't even know how the, it must feel to be caught up in the current swirl of headlines and stories, um, you know, involving the Last Dance, the, the documentary about Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls and their their last championship season. Um, has it been odd for you to have all of these things kind of raked back up and and stirred up again in the media, even? Just, you know, all of the back and forth people's opinions and comments about something that happened so long ago for you? Uh, it definitely has been, um, it, it wasn't expected. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that, uh, you know, I like, like most of, of you and everybody else, um, you know, when, when they announced that the documentary was, was uh, being fast-tracked and was going to be shown, um, you know, me and my family, we was we was anxious to see sports or have something talked about sports, uh, but we didn't know that the Pistons and myself would be so intertwined in the story. We just thought that we were getting ready to to watch a talk about about Mike, and and that was going to be it. Um, the I, but I, I will say this: the the one thing that I think has happened, which is I think has been good for the Pistons. I think people are now starting to go back and examine uh, the way the the way we were as a basketball team, 
and and really starting to ask, can they watch some of our games? Mm-hmm. If you notice, uh, none of our games have ever been shown on air, I think, for like the last, you know, 20, 25 years. So people have seen a couple of video clips uh, talking, uh, showing hard files and, and then some, some narrative behind that and say, oh, that's how the Pistons play. But I think now that people are actually getting the chance to see us play or curious about us playing, uh, I think they're coming away with a, with a different outlook in terms of how we played the game and how good we were defensively and offensively. Yeah, I'm, and listen, I'm biased. I'm, I'm born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I'm, I grew up in bad boys country. And I, and I watched Pistons games before, believe it or not, all of that persona was pumped out, you know, worldwide. Like, you watched a, a great team. I mean, I remember watching coming to the Silverdome to watch games, which I know not everybody understands the history of that franchise in that way. Um, the, the quality of play has, has come into – you know, debate by a lot of people. I'm I'm kind of shocked at people's idea that the game has has transformed and become so much better in this day and age than it was then. I don't I don't get that feeling. You you've played, coached, analyzed the game all these years. What what does it look like to you watching that old film in terms of the the quality of play that you guys were putting on display? Uh, that that I, I think that's the that's the best thing that has come out of this doc for for the Pistons, um, you know, because people people just assume that we were uh, you know uh, uh, a team that fouled everyone, but when you look at the '80s, and I think now people are really starting to do a, a critical examination and critique of the '80s, and you know they talk about pace. Well, lo and behold, the 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 eighties pace uh it was faster than the two thousand twenty pace or the two thousand ten pace. And and in the level of, of of scoring and everything else during that period of time, uh they're just starting to get back to that level of scoring today uh in the NBA. So um I'm I'm pleased that that people are having a chance to go back and look at the Pistons. And I, I think they just stumbled onto that, you know, we were the team that uh, had the, the highest scoring record uh, in the NBA uh, and still holds that today. And when you look back at the 80s, we were one of the highest scoring teams. And defensively, uh, we were just a juggernaut. So, um, you know, comparing the two eras, I, I think people are realizing that when, when people say the 80s was a, was a great era of play, um, now the the numbers and the stats are are backing that up. Yeah, I, and I do want to point out. I, I know there's been a lot made about you know you and Michael Jordan, but I thought watching the doc last week, he he paid you a, a very um, high compliment. You know when he said that, hey, you the you are right there after Magic is the greatest point guard the game's ever seen, which I think a lot of us feel that way that you don't get your due. In that respect, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised, given all of the other things that that have been said, that he showed you that kind of respect. Um, and I know you've always respected his game. And in the times I've talked to you, rarely that we've discussed Jordan, because I don't think it's that big a deal to some of us all these years later. But there, there is a healthy dose of respect amongst you guys, which I think is often glossed over 
when when these things get brought up. Um, were you? What did you think about what he said when he called you the second best point guard the game's ever seen? Well, I, you know, I, I was, of course, you're always pleased to hear uh, someone compliment you uh, like that, uh, particularly someone who, you know, who is in the discussion of, of the the greatest player to ever play. He's in that debate, right. uh, you know, whether it be him, uh, Kareem, or or LeBron. You know, it's only you know, Russell and, and Chambers, only five of them guys in the room. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so so for one of those guys to acknowledge your play, you know, that that that's a that's a high compliment. So um, you know, again, um what what he's what he's done for the game in the way that I think all of us have admired him in the way he's played, you know, it it, it was it was good to, to hear him say that. Yep. You know, I think if there's if there's any takeaway from it, too, like uh, I've watched, you know, some other guys talk about it to know that you had that you were in the in the minds of a team you competed against as much and as deep as you, the Pistons were in the Bulls. That's got that cracks me up, you know, because you, you don't notice at the time whether you get into them or not, whether you got that number, whether you own them like you think they you know, and then to hear them talk about it now in retrospect, like, wow, y'all, y'all had the whole city of Chicago caught up. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, we, we always described ourselves as a mentally tough team, mm-hmm. uh, while, while the media always described us as a physically tough team. And, you know, I was taught at a, at a very young age in the game, you know, mental is the physical as four is to one. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when, when you're out competing, uh, if you can, you know, out scheme a team or, or make them think uh, differently about themselves or, or lack confidence, confidence in themselves or lose trust or, you know, those, those, those things are, are what you're trying to, uh, gain an edge on in terms of competition, particularly when you're when you're playing against someone who is uh, physically more gifted than you. So we as we as smaller players and myself as a smaller player, you know, I wasn't gifted, you know, like Magic was a six nine, uh, you know, Larry Bird, you know, six eight, six nine, you know, Jordan six six with a you know a forty nine inch vertical. You know, when you're not gifted with those things. Uh, you still have to find a way to compete. And, you know, I always prided myself in, you know, why those guys could, could play above the rim. Uh, my below-the-rim game had to be uh, extremely effective to just make sure that we can compete. Well, you didn't, you didn't miss any steps, trust me. Um, it, and it's been fun watching some of those old clips of just all of the competitive you know, atmosphere of that era. I, I do miss that. Um, but what what I really was curious about, watching the doc, watching, you know, some of the other things, and then thinking about the history that you've had since you stopped playing. And I tell people all the time when they ask me about my time covering the league, what did I enjoy most? I, I'll never be able to pay you back for allowing me to watch and observe that Pacers team I covered my first time covering the NBA when you were the coach. Um, 
and you just bringing us in and explaining to us what y'all were doing, why y'all were doing it, the system you you know were were implementing. Um, I always feel like you you got short shrift in the coaching space more than anything. I don't think people have ever recognized just how forward thinking your coaching was. I always tell people about the quick and that you had an offense that was basically today's standard NBA offense that you were trying to implement in the early 2000s and nobody was paying attention and nobody was acknowledging that. Um, what, what did you see at that time when you got into coaching that led you to believe this was the, you know, the right vision for what the game would become in the future? But when you say no one was paying attention, I, I would say, well, a lot of coaches were because a lot of them actually <laughs> used, right. used everything that, that we started there in, in Indiana. And, yeah. um, you know, if you look at uh, the way a lot of those teams play and even the 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 names of the, the, the play calls are, you know, the same calls that we had there in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I, I always, you know, and and I will hold true to this to this day. Had had I been given the opportunity to to finish what what I started at Indiana, I firmly believe we would have won a championship with that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal and I were talking about that the other night. Um, you know just how you know close we were as a as a team and a unit, and how we were progressing. Um, you know the other night they had that New Jersey. Um, game on with Reggie Miller mm-hmm. and and I looked at 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 that New Jersey team and they went to the finals uh back to back two years in a row we lost to them uh, that first year as the eighth seed um but we had them beat uh and and Reggie missed the free throw Crochier went to the line missed two free throws uh and that point in the game you know, those were big points in the game. Now, Reggie came back and made up for it, right. uh, as he always does and and, and did. Uh, but, you know, we, we had that team right on the edge. And that was, all, that was our, you know, our first year together, our second year together. So um, when you look at the innovativeness that, that we were, <coughs> excuse me, that we were having as a basketball team, and the extension of the three-point line, uh, playing up tempo, um, you know, our open set, uh, our open set. If you ask any of our players who played back then, our open set had never been done in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Well, our open set now is the standard play of the NBA, where they take the power forward and they move them to the perimeter. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. I mean, it's like I said, when I said nobody's paying attention, I didn't mean basketball people. I meant media. I was pointing the finger at folks on, on my side of the aisle. Um, I, I remember having arguments with people about it, and they were like, you know, ah, you know, that's not going to work in this league. And I thought to myself, if you don't have a, if you don't have a forward-thinking program, you know, you going if you jump into the league and just do what everybody else is doing then that means you got to have talent that's superior to what everybody else, you know, has. And that's where I'm interested in your I, eye. You, you've always had a I don't great mean eye to, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that year we started off uh, 15 and 2. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's just weird. I mean, I, the, the, looking back at it historically, 
I don't understand what everybody else was missing because I was I thought it was fascinating to watch. Um, but that eye for talent, you you've always had it. You go back and look at the drafts and all of the you know players you have identified that have you know gone on the long careers in this league. What where where does that come from? Being able to walk into a gym and and eyeball the, you know certain players that just have it. They say the the truest form of education is uh, participation in observation. And if you have uh, participated um, in in any type of studies and then you have a chance to observe it, then you have a a more critical eye of critiquing um, because you have immersed yourself into the into the situation. So your your understanding and education, and perspective is different than than one who may have only participated in one of those learning categories. Uh, and I always felt that uh, because I participated in the sport, and then I became a champion in the sport, and then having the chance to observe the sport uh, from from every angle, uh, you know, just gave me more of a I believe it just gave me more of an educational perspective in terms of who and what I was looking for and was able to look at different places, how this person would fit in the locker room, uh, the training table, the bus, so forth and so on. So all those things uh, came into play, not just from a talent standpoint, but also from an understanding of what, what, what the player was going to walk through was was going to have to walk through in terms of the shoes that he was going to have to wear on a daily basis. And I think that helped me tremendously in my evaluation. You you've uh, you've had a career as well, Isaiah. That I, I've always been curious about the connection you have with players from different generations. Like I, I know that you, you mentioned talking to Jo the other day, and I know the guys who have played for you or have been in your orbit have always been fiercely loyal and appreciative of the mentorship that you've, you know, given them. When, at what point in your career, and I know you were active as a player, so I'm assuming it goes back a ways, but at what point in your career did you realize I got to be more than just a player? Um, I have to be more than just a coach or a, a team president or gym. Like I have to mentor these other guys who are going to take this walk from wherever they started in their basketball careers to where you are now? You know, I, I would say that started like in, in grade school and, 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 and just in my family and, and, and my household, watching, watching my mom and dad in terms of the way that they were trying to, to raise me. And even when my, my dad and my mom separated, um, my mom was always um, looking to help someone. And I, you know, there were a lot of days we didn't have food. And when we did get some food, you know, she would invite somebody over to eat. And we're like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know? she, she'd be like, well, you know, you know, such and such down the street, they don't have nothing. And we would be like, well, well we don't have nothing either. And we just got this. <laughs> you know, but. But I would say, you know, watching her and, and watching my dad just always, you know, trying to give advice around the neighborhood, trying to help people. Um, I, I just 
that just became a part of, of who I am. And, and I always have just tried to pass knowledge, give knowledge, help people. And, and if I've made any mistakes, you know, open up my book and let people learn from the mistakes that I've made so they don't make those mistakes. Yeah. That's interesting. I just, I'm always, like I said, I'm always interested to see the reaction players have when they see you or when they greet you. It's different. Um, different than it is for, for the average guy who's, who's been through the league. And that's not a knock on anybody else. That's just the observation. Um, what, what do you, what do you make of this, this uh, new G league component and, and top high school guys have an opportunity to go to the G league instead of college um, and spend a year there before they enter the draft. Uh, I was, somebody was asking me about it yesterday, but capitalist in me loves it. Like the idea that you would have that, freedom to choose um but i don't know i mean we haven't i don't, I don't know if we we have a, a good handle on how this changes the landscape this year you know i i think there there'll be some successes and there'll be some failures and um i would you know uh this year with 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 coronavirus and the potential that uh there may be a year loss uh, to the NC2A in terms of playing. Uh, it may be a smart move to to go to the G League right now and, and take the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the risk of, and I've always said that the risk of a, of a 17-year-old, um, you know, teenager playing against a, a 27, 28-year-old man who, who's, and they both have an NBA dream, Unless that 17-year-old is head and shoulders over that 27-year-old man, athletically, physically, that 27-year-old man most of the time is going to beat that 17-year-old old kid. And that's – so I – you know, like I say, there'll be some successes and there'll be some failures. Yeah. Uh, but it, it won't be a slam dunk by any means, and it won't be a layup. Um, there's going to be some ups and downs for the players. Now, financially, it's a win. It's a it's a win for the player, any way you look at it financially. Right. I wonder too what the what the biggest emphasis is going to be. You know, everybody has look has got dollar signs in their eyes. Um, but then I think about the finite amount of years you have to play. You know, and and does that financial windfall that you get when you're playing it, it doesn't always translate to you making the best decisions when you're done playing, um, how, how did you steal yourself to, to, to be prepared for the business that you've done since you stopped playing? Like, how did you prepare yourself for that part of the game? Um, you know, I, I've always been a, a seeker of knowledge. Uh, uh, you know, I've always been someone who was uh, curious and always uh, read a lot and, and, and wanted to participate. So um, truly, I, I've touched every part of, of basketball from, from an executive, from an ownership, from broadcasting to playing to winning. Uh, there, there's, there's not a part of, of the NBA uh, that I haven't physically touched or worked in. And the preparation truly just came from my participation in the sport. Um, and when you're participating, you know, you, 
as opposed to just having the trainer, you know, tape tape your ankle, you say, "Hey man, how you do that?" <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You, you get to you get to know the trainer. You get to know, you know, how he thinks and what makes a what makes someone what makes a good trainer or a bad trainer. So you have those conversations now. When you're having those conversations, I wasn't thinking that one day I would be an executive having to hire someone in that position but it was more or less just like you know just talking and getting to know someone and and you know uh understanding what it's like to walk in another man's shoes so you can you know you you go in and you get on the training table and you you never thought to think that okay well maybe the trainer's having a bad day maybe you know maybe something happened at home with his family and, and kids and, you know, maybe he's upset. So I always just try to make it a two-way street instead of a, just a one-way street with everybody I meet. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I just, that, that journey is so interesting to me to, to see guys now when they're done playing and how they manage the post-playing career. What's, what kind of advice are young guys asking you now, you know, guys in the league, when you bump into them and they want some words of wisdom? What are they asking about? What are these current players who make – when you look at the amounts of money being made by players today, it's, it's staggering. You know, they want walking corporations. Um, but what, are they, what knowledge are they seeking from you when they talk to you? Um, a, uh, financial, financial advice in terms of um, how to save their money and in and, and the relationship uh, they should have um, you know, with their agent representation manager, um, those are the those are the two main questions that that I get. And from a plan standpoint, um, you know, not necessarily how to handle themselves on the floor, but what to do off the floor. Uh, so the entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, wh- how much risk should you take? Um, how much money should you save? And from a mentoring standpoint, you know those those are the those are the advice those are the questions that I get, and that's the advice that I try to give the most. Mm-hmm. Because I, I maintain Isaiah that players today, in terms of just skill work, and you know everybody's got a personal trainer and a you know shooting coach, and they've got all of that. So I mean, if there's access to anything, they have the opportunities to improve and and become. More, you know, more proficient players. I'm, I'm wondering, do they have the same amount of structure and the sound advice in the realm you just spoke of it off the court in terms of managing, not just, you know, the finance, but the, the lifestyle and, you know, the family and the people around you and all that. I, I wonder, do you, have you evaluated what needs more attention for a player once you get into the league and, and have a career with some staying power? Do they, you know, is there, is it more of a, you got to maintain a basketball, a certain level of, on the basketball court, or is it managing all the things around that? Yeah, I, I would say that, uh, you know, if, if I was to, to evaluate the, uh, what this industry, uh, what this current player has uh, or lacks that we had, um, I would say when, when, when we were in the league, there were always uh, people around us uh, who had 
who have participated in the league and experienced in the league and, and, and could tell you the, the do's and the don'ts. Um, and the, the people that were actually, you know, training you were actually, you know, people who, you know, you know, had played in the league. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of real work that you can do to get your skill better. But, you know, the, when you like Mike Tyson said, you know, yeah, all that stuff is good until you get hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and those drills are good, but you know, then when when there's a defender on you, and that defender is bigger, stronger, faster, and you know that, and that defender is not the cone or the chair, mm-hmm. then what do you do? How do you get open? And what I see today is a lot of players don't have training staff around them that could share that knowledge with them. So there, there is a knowledge gap that, that is missing from a teaching standpoint, uh, because what we had, we had knowledge around us that could talk to us about the things that, that the coach can't teach. Uh, now they're only limited to uh, what their, you know, what their teachers are teaching them, so to speak. And a lot of them, what I, what I see a, a lot of people around, uh, a lot of the players, uh, they don't have that that knowledge. And when you look at a guy like a, you know, like a Steph Curry who has been, you know, so successful, and you look at a Clay Thompson who has been so successful, yeah. even though I'm sure they have their own individual workout people, they got dads at home. Right. who have, you know, won championships, you know, been the best players and everything else. So there's a lot of knowledge that they get from their fathers that they bring to the court that the skill coach ain't teaching them. Right. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a weird dynamic now, too. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just this this generation. It seems like there's a lot more sons of of former players now who are in the league. So there's kind of this – to me, you kind of had this second generation wave of, of stars. Um, and there'll be more coming, obviously. There's gonna be a lot more in the years to come. Do you do you appreciate the the level of competitiveness of this era the the way I do that? For a while I was like, I don't know if I like guys holding up jerseys and posing. And I was like, I, I'm a I'm an 80s baby. I'm not sure that's in my wheelhouse, but but I think about the competitive way the KD and, and the Warriors went at LeBron and the Cavs or the way Kawhi Leonard's going about his business. There's, there's a, a healthy dose of competitiveness in today's game that I think we kind of gloss over and act like, well, it's not knockdown, you know, ch- clothesline basketball, so therefore it's not as competitive. I don't believe that. And maybe I'm wrong, but, but I, I like the, the tenor and the tone of the competition in today's game. I agree a hundred percent with you. And I don't, you know, I don't, I see highly competitive people. Um, now I, I think what these highly competitive people understand that we didn't understand. Hey man, that Jersey now is worth $200,000. Don't just store it in the trash. <laughs> you know, let me, let me get that Jersey. And by the way, if you put your signature on it and it's a game worn, you know, they, you know, so they, they understand that. And and they have, you know, and they figured out how to monetize it, which is cool. You know, I, I got no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I look back and I, I say now, you know, 
man, I all the all the great players that I played with in the eighties, had I known what these jerseys and everything would be worth. <laughs> game on, hey, let's trade. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Can, can you imagine what a what a game worn uh, exchange jersey between Jordan and myself now would oh. be worth? Oh, <laughs> and, and and I guarantee you, he and I both would be happy with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet, I bet. You know, uh, in in obviously in, in closing here, and I, like I said, I appreciate you taking some time, Isaiah. I know you got a lot going on. Um, do you do you look back now and and say to yourself, you know what, you know the the, the past, the past. You know, you can't change it. A lot of us who are going to go to our graves upset, furious. My grandfather, rest his soul, being one of them, about you not being on the on the dream team. But all that water under the bridge, do you look back at your time in, in the game and just smile? Because there's no way anybody, even if you're an a unbelievably talented player, can assume you're going to reach the heights that you reached and, and experience the things you did. And, and been all the places you've been, you know, you you have to look back and, and smile at that, don't you? When you when you see what's been accomplished, I I look back and I smile and I look back with awe, and <laughs> and here's why. Uh, and and you and I, we we've been around each other for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I do see Magic and Bird and Barkley, and and I realize just how small I am. you know and how little i am being and having accomplished what i accomplished in the game uh you know they were blessed with size they were blessed with you know 49 inch verticals and all that stuff to be able to do what i was able to do at this size i i look back on it and i'm i'm thankful grateful and i look back at it and i do smile yes you you definitely went into the land of the giants, man, and you know, and and slayed them. Um, I I often tell people, and and I've seen the, the meme going around. You know, the only person to defeat Larry Magic, you know, and, and Michael, and it, it, you, the you and the teams that you led were the only ones to accomplish that. That's it's remarkable stuff that I hope we don't forget about or gloss over when we start evaluating the history of this game. To me, it's one of those things that needs to be acknowledged, man. I'm appreciative of your your time, obviously, and, and all the stuff you share. Um, as you know, man, I'm certainly hoping you and the family stay safe. And um, hopefully we get some basketball at some point down the road here. I don't know how you feel. I'm, I'm feeling optimistic, but I'm, I'm nervous. But I'm feel, trying to be optimistic about it. Hey, accurately stated. Optimistic and nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, listen, I appreciate you, Isaiah. Okay, appreciate you too. All right, Thank man. You. Yes, sir. I always appreciate uh, my conversations with Isaiah Thomas. He's the the first coach I covered when uh, I started covering the NBA. He's in the headlines these days for a lot of things, but some of his best work is done, you know, in the shadows. And I think that's something that people don't understand. It's, he's been a mentor to countless players, you know, that have come since he was playing. And um, I just appreciate him clearing the air a little bit here on the Hang Time Podcast, sharing a little bit um, and, and talking 
you know, plain, like real talk for people to understand. He's not the the image of, of him and the reality of who he is are so wildly different. Um, I get to see that working with him and, and dealing with him as I have over the years, but I hope everybody else gets a better grasp on that, listening to him talk. Um, as always, we appreciate you taking the time, diving in, hanging out with us here during this global pandemic, the Hangtime Podcast. Is, is trying to make sure we maintain a consistent level of output for you. My producer, Anthony Bonaparte, is grinding away as always. Appreciate him. For everybody here uh, at the Hang Time Podcast, we'll see you next time. This one is done, but in case you want another one, here's the link to all the fun from Sekou Smith's Hang Time Run. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com slash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.